I'm actually going to do one better here. We have videos to explain why I'm here and, and then when you start who speaking, I'm with. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to stand a lot because that's fine. He's got a I uh, broke my broke my tibia and tore my MCL this week. So oh, no. it's been a fun week. I need to retire from playing basketball. <laughs> too old. Too old to play basketball. Just so why I've never got hurt, so I'm 30, 38. Yeah, you're you're on downhill. I I, I haven't ever gotten hurt. 38 years old. I turned 38 this week, so. Oh well, you know I ain't yeah. this year, so. And I've so it's it's a new world. I mean, you know, I've been playing basketball for you know since so I was five. So. So this is Chris Boyd. Yeah, I'll introduce myself, guys. I, I'm Chris Boyd. I'm with Bethany Christian Services. Okay. I'm our uh, board vice, or board president, I guess I should say. I'm our board president. Uh, been with Bethany for five years now. Time seems to run together these days. So, uh, it's probably, I think it'll be five years this fall. Uh, I've been on the board. And um, I'll show you guys a video of why I chose to be on Bethany's board and why it's a good fit for me and why I'm here today.
politics are here. Sometimes, uh, I so, saw a meme that was very fitting for this. Sometimes the extended screen is like... Yeah, it's tricky. Not the best. No, the meme was like, my life is like my computer screen where I have like 10 tabs open and I have no idea where the music is. <laughs> that is very, very fitting for where I'm at right now. Let's see here. So, so a little bit of a backstory. So yes, I was born in San Jose, Costa Rica, um, in November of 1983, and my mother was um, my mother was is a single mom. So I had an older brother, Franklin, who just turned 44 yesterday. Well, older sister, uh, Yendri, who's 40. And then I now have a younger brother, Tyrone, who's 27. Um, so I was right in the middle. So my mom was, you know, she said um, when I was born, she had a room. She was living in like a one bedroom room that maybe half of there, a quarter of this room. So with two kids in downtown San Jose, Costa Rica, which you know, maybe compared to Philadelphia, maybe like some of the worst parts of Philadelphia. So um, she decided that, listen, she couldn't, my brother and my sister were old enough to know what was going on. She couldn't put them up for adoption, but she decided she could give me a better life. So she put me up for adoption. Um, you know, ironically, she would, um, she would walk to her doctor's appointments and, you know, after she said like five months, her doctor told her like four or five times, listen, you really need to abort this baby. This isn't healthy for you. This isn't, this isn't great for your mental health. You really need to abort this baby. And she's like, no, no, no. My mom's, my mom's a believer. So she, she's, I, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to give this child a, a chance. So, um, you know, November 24th of 1983, I was born. Uh, Michael Elliott Anderson Lewis was my name in Costa Rica. And uh, that same day, took her out, took me out of her hands and replaced me with like a stuffed animal, right? And, um, you know, then I, I grew up in Lancaster. My, I lived, we lived in the city for five years. Um, and then my parents uh, moved us to Willow Street, which, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Willow Street, you know, as, uh, uh, a child of color that maybe wasn't the most ideal place for, for me to grow up. Um, but you know what, it, it built character and made me who I am today. And, um, so yeah, they, you know, when the opportunity to join Bethany came about, it just seemed like a perfect fit for me in my journey. Um, and you know, it just, you know, we, my family and I go to New Providence Church of God, if you guys know where that is, it's down past Willow Street, southern end of Lancaster County. Um, so just the, the marriage of, uh, you know, a Christian organization helping kids and um, being able to impact people who have similar stories as myself, you know, just, I, I didn't think I'd have another opportunity like this. So that's, that's where I am today, that's here, that's why I'm here. Um, you know, I, I like to make these things open forum. You know, we have about 400, thousand kids in the United States that are in the foster care 
adoption system, 400,000. Um, got lots of room. Yep, yeah, perfect. So we, we have a lot of room and we have a lot of children that are in need. And, um, and then we're also doing some different things here locally that Bethany's not doing uh, across the board. Like we have a lot of moms that are incarcerated and have drug addictions. Um, and you wouldn't believe how many uh, women there in Lancaster County Prison go into prison pregnant and drug addicted. So we, we have services that help them. Um, we're really big with refugees currently as well, uh, helping refugees acclimate to Lancaster County. As you guys know, Lancaster County, uh, we really take in a lot of refugees, more so than most cities in the United States. So. Um, I'm here to answer your questions, and you guys tell me what you want to know, and I, I'm, I'm happy to answer that. So, yeah, Chris, I had a, a question that I hope is appropriate. Um, I know that there have been some in the group who have interest in uh, being foster parents. Yes. Yeah, and we actually have three, three approaches at Bethany, right? So we have Safe Families. Uh, Safe Families is a really cool uh, program, right? So let's say we have Johnny, comes from a single parent home, um, maybe used to be in the system, is now back with his family, but Johnny really has certain needs. Like Johnny really wants to eat dinner, a sit down dinner with a family once a week. We have a program that will allow Johnny to do that. Or, hey, listen, I want somebody that's going to teach me how to play baseball. I want somebody that's going to teach me how to cook. I want somebody that's going to take me to church every Sunday. Safe Families is, is that program that really, we help meet kids and families where they're at, right? And, you know, it takes a special type of awareness from, you know, birth parents to know that I can't give my son or my daughter these needs. I'm going to put them in this, you know, I'm going to, we have these services. We're going to go and allow them to go into another house and really, um, you know, we, we, have broken, we have broken families in America, right? And that's at an all-time high. It just continues to get worse and worse. And to be able to give these kids what they need, um, to give them that experience that they typically wouldn't have, that's kind of that bucket called safe families, right? So foster care, obviously, we, we all know what foster care is. Um, it's temporary placement, right, for, for these children until they do get adopted. And it, I think there's a place for each of these, right? I think, listen, you, some, some people don't know that they're ready for foster care or adoption. So they start out with safe families. Or you have an older couple who has grandchildren, children of their own, and they're just really looking to um, impact children's lives, right? So that's, that's how they can spend their time and, and you know, leverage their heart for these kids. Foster care, definitely has its place as well. Um, there's a cost with adoption. Not everyone can afford it. it uh, that's just, to, and it keeps going higher and higher every day. So you have a heart for children and you may not have the means for adoption. Foster care is a great option, right? Um, and there's certain programs that allow you then to adopt the child and it's not as expensive as going through just a traditional domestic adoption. 
And then adoption is, you know, it just speaks for itself. There, there are people like my parents who had a loss, weren't sure if they could have a child or were nervous about having a biological child. They adopted, then they got pregnant with my brother. So, um, or there are people who just simply cannot have children. And this is their way of having a family. And, um, you know, there's, there's just a place for that, right? Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. Do we have anything else? Any other questions you guys are curious about? You know, I, I think if we're talking about age needs, right, you know, typically the older you get, the less, less appealing you are to foster homes, adoption, even say families, right? We have a bunch of kids that are just kind of out on the island that are 14, 15, 16, 17, all the way up into 21, right, that we really just need a place for. Um, you know, that, that's why I'm really a big fan of safe families, because those older kids, they need that structure as well as the, the, the younger kids. Really, the kids that seem to do pretty well are like between seven and 10, right? They're a little bit more adaptable. You know, we all remember being seven and 10 or have seven and 10 year olds or, you know, whatever the case may be, interact with kids that age. Those kids are pretty flexible. Once you get to those pre-teen ages, teenage ages, and then you're, you know, a little bit younger, obviously you have needs, but really where we, where we see a big need is for, um, those older, those teenagers to young adults, right? There's just not a place for them. And, you know, the safe families allowing, even if it's once, once a month, just connecting with those individuals, right? Bringing them to church, building that structure that these kids just don't typically have is, you know, it may seem like it's not, uh, you're not having that big of an impact, but, you know, we've seen and, you know, our studies show that it's just, it's immeasurable what, what that does for these kids. And, you know, surrounding them with just, you know, a bunch of families that come to this church, they see the possibilities. They're out of their element, right? You know, a lot of these kids just don't have that structure, so... Right, right. It's a family. It's, hey, take me to a baseball game. Yeah. They get to see mom, dad with their children. Yeah. Right. And that, that's just, you know, those interactions are second to none because they just haven't seen that. And most of them haven't seen that from a two-parent home, right? So, um, yeah, that's, that's second to none there. Uh, teenagers, I mean, and we, our, our, our window there is wide ranging. Usually you're old enough to know what you want from a safe family, right? So uh, you're maybe eight, nine, right? All the way up through your late teens, early twenties sometimes. Um, 
so but yeah most the the big when the big group that we help is teenagers with safe families yeah what are the questions you guys have about bethany in general you guys familiar with all of our services and um have have we have we been here you have not we have not been here okay You know, we, we offer a lot of our heart and our, you know, where we kind of originated is with counseling services, right? Um, so, you know, we, we start at the beginning. Start at the beginning. You know, um, a young woman gets pregnant. She's not sure what she wants to do. Um, she has the awareness enough to come to us, and we walk her through that process, right? A lot of times we, we get these young ladies that are just like kind of where my mom was, right? Um, not sure what she wants to do. You know, people over here are telling her to get an abortion. She knows she doesn't want to get an abortion. She comes to us. We, we help guide her through that process. That doesn't always end up in adoption. Um, you know, sometimes that might end up in foster care. Sometimes it might end up in the safe families. Sometimes we just pair her up with um, other moms that we know in our network, right? Uh, but these, these women are coming to us for support. So pre-pregnancy, obviously we have our post-pregnancy counseling services, right? And then we have, um, we have the Safe Families bucket, which, which we've talked about, foster care, domestic adoption, kind of gotten away from international adoption. Um, kind of thought that it's appropriate that we take care of home and the kids in the United States first and foremost. Uh, there are a lot of great other organizations that if, hey, if you want to adopt internationally, if that's a passion, if that's something that you really feel like, you know, God's calling you to do, that's perfect. Well, you know, we can refer you to, to somebody else. But we really are focusing a lot on domestic adoption right now. And we just see that, you know, these numbers of kids are just, you know, the, the number of kids in broken homes or in the foster care system, right, which is where you start, um, is skyrocketing. And um, we, need to, we need to change that here in the United States. So it's kind of our, kind of our calling and our passion. How do you work with couples that are just investigating the possibility You know, we, we do a great job of, we have a lot of informational sessions at our office in Lancaster. We're right off of Warwick and Pike. Um, we pull families in, we sit down two or three classes. We hash out some of those questions, right? Um, you know, the biggest question, and you brought this up, the biggest question and where people really struggle the most with is, is race, right? There are just, you know, Unfortunately, there are more minorities in the system than there are uh, Caucasian kids. So adopting domestically and dealing with race is just something that people are intimidated by. And um, 
you know, that family you were speaking about, it's, uh, you said it perfectly, they love their mom and dad. That's really all these kids are looking for is someone to, to love them, right? Uh, but to answer your question, we, we do have some classes available. Uh, I actually speak on a adult adoptee panel once or twice a year. So we open that up to families who are interested. That's just a really cool, I mean, we have, we have people ranging from 19 years old to I think our oldest panelist is like 63 years old. So we answer questions about adoption and families who are interested in adopting, you know, some of the, some of the obstacles that, um, you know, come up in their mind, we, we try to answer, so. I think, I think the biggest challenge from what I hear is that, you know, there's something to be said about having your own child, giving birth to a child, the chemical connection that has um, when, you, when you give birth to a child, right? And where people really underestimate the, the work it takes to learn to love a child, right? to learn what it takes to really love a child like you would have to love your, you know, when you give birth to a child, this is, this is a part of you. There's that chemistry, there's that blood connection. It's kind of organic. When you bring a new child in, whether it's a baby or a two-year-old or a three-year-old into an existing family, that takes work. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of unknowns with mental health. There's a lot of unknowns with just simple things like, you know, as I get older, right, I was just at the doctor's. Family history right? Just simple things like that, that you take for granted, that we take for granted as having biological parents, right? That these kids have to deal with. I would say the biggest obstacle and what we're seeing is the mental health aspect of being a, a, an, a, an adoptee, right? Um, you know, there's, there's always that part of you that feels abandoned, right? So mom and dad have to do a little extra. And if you're not aware of that upfront, you know, sometimes that it just becomes a vicious cycle where you don't feel where, you know, I have three kids, right? My kids are pretty resilient. You know, if I, I yell at my son for chucking a dinosaur at his sister's head. He knows I still love him. Where if my parents would yell at me for throwing a basketball at my brother's head, I would think that they would want to get rid of me then, right? So there are just mental health things that we have to be intentional about um, when we're working with uh, adopted children. And it, it, it's really a, it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong investment, both emotionally and financially. I always recommend counseling. I always recommend... Um, those frequent, frequent check-ins, right? That once again, that I don't necessarily have to always check in with my kids. 
I do, but I don't always have to because they know, they feel it. They've known from day one that I love them. They, we have that connection from the first time I hold them. These kids don't have that. And we forget how, how impactful those first few hours of a child's life is and how the first few months of a child's life is. And to have that chaos in your life and then be able to land in a family, it's, it's damaging. And so we have, to, we have to repair that when we can. What about the relationships between the children, an adopted child coming into a family and their interactions with the kids? Is there a recommended that you adopt younger than you have, or is there just coaching through how to, how to parents? I, I think it all comes down to being intentional about communication, whether, whether if you, I think it's always easier if you can adopt younger. You know, if you have a younger child, and you adopt another younger child, I think that's easier. I don't want to say that's the only way to do it, though. I think if you have older children, um, it then becomes just the conversations that you have to have, right? And being intentional with um, all of your children, right? Because, you know, I have three kids. It's really hard to, it's really hard to equally, or spend equal amount of time with each of them, right? So my, you know, my, my one daughter, my daughter who's 12 is a very good athlete. So we travel all around the United States for her to play soccer. And I have a six-year-old <laughs> who wants to play soccer. And, you know, it's a, it's a conversation um, at home that like, you know, and I just, I just said to my wife, I'm like, listen, we, we have to let him play soccer this year because it's, it's going to be damaging to him. If he doesn't get to play, yes, that means that we're going to be divided constantly. But, you know, it's having those conversations and understanding, just like you would with your kids, just understanding where each child is at, A, in their development, in their life, and, you know, emotionally. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's different for each kid, obviously, but I think having that open conversation, um, I always tell this story, right? I didn't know I was adopted until I was eight. So my parents are Caucasian, as you can see. So I found out probably in like the most dramatic way. I was out playing basketball in my driveway and my, some guy drove past and yelled a racial slur at me. And I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea what the word was. But I went inside and I said to my mom, I said, this is what this guy said. And she's like, well, she's like, listen, this is what people say and this is why they say it. And I'm like, well, do they say it to you? And she's like, no. I'm like, why not? And she's like, well, because she's like, I'm white. And she's like, you're different. So I didn't even realize I was adopted until I was eight. And... Um, you know, so I think just that, and then I started to go down a journey of like, where did I come from, blah, 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 right? So I think as a parent, you know when it's appropriate to tell your kid their story versus when it's not. But I think being open 
about where they came from and who they are, um, I think that helps a lot because, you know, I didn't reconnect with my birth family till I was 33. So for, you know, 33 years of my life, I didn't know anyone that looked like me. I, and I know that sounds so, um, so basic, but I, I didn't know that, right? And I thought, my parents always told me I was Hispanic. So I went through life not having an identity because I didn't think I was Hispanic. My parents told me I was, and they just, I think they just assumed because I was from Costa Rica. And um, so I never felt, I never felt like I had a home. So I, I think for me, and my parents really didn't give me much information until I was a teenager. Um, and maybe I wasn't ready. I, I can't speak to whether or not I was ready, but I kind of wish I would have had information younger because I didn't, I wasn't able to connect with any aspect of my life. So I kind of felt like I was not on an island. And you'll hear that from most adopted kids. They just don't, I, sometimes the longer parents wait to tell them their story, who they are, what the circumstances of how they ended up in this situation, I think the more damaging that is. And yeah. As a kid then, how did you learn to trust God with this? And you know, you're serving him now. Yes. In this wonderful role. And you're very settled. You have your own family and you're referring to your mom as a believer and yeah. all those things together. But as a kid, when did you really know you could trust God with this? Mm. As a kid. Uh, you know what? I don't think I, I don't think it was until I was an adult, really. I, I was probably 22, and I walked into a church like this, right? And I connected with people. It was so funny pulling in here and just seeing the families. It just brought back memories of me pulling into my church uh, with my wife and uh, that feeling I got the first time walking in and just feeling like home, right? And uh, I grew up Catholic. So, you know, I'm not here to bash Catholicism. Um, but, you know, I think for me, there was a lack of connection in the Catholic Church, you know? Um, it's very grand, very uh, tradition-based, but it, I, for me, it, I really lacked that connection. So coming to a church like this, meeting people like the people that I saw walking in here, um, and you know going through that journey as you know a twenty-something, really brought me to the point where I could trust God. And you know I always say to people, you know the the the, the interesting part of my story is my mom got married, and her husband in two thousand and four, her husband was dying. And he was from Hamburg, PA, and he wanted to die at home. So he came back, they came back to Hamburg. And, um, you know, so you think of how close we were at that time, Hamburg and Lancaster, right? And uh, as she told me that, I'm like, well, why didn't, why didn't we connect then? I'm like, well, it wasn't our time to connect. It wasn't God's plan for us to connect. I probably wasn't ready to connect with her or nor was I in a place, right? So, um, 
you, you, to answer your question, yeah, the, my, my time didn't come until I was an adult. And I think that's what made my, I never in trouble as a kid, but it, it definitely made my mental health challenging in my teen years. Cause I couldn't, I just felt like I was chasing different things and I was never settled like I was once I found the church, if that makes sense. If you were around here for very long at all, you would have one of our many families probably run you over. <laughs> Wow. And I'd love to meet some of those families, you know, if we can. I know this was kind of last minute scheduling this, but, yeah. you know, it, I'm local. I'd love to sit down with, if there are a group of families, we'd love to sit down and talk to them and get to know them better and answer their questions directly, you know, if that, that helps. What about families that are not adopting, but how do we support families that are, are either fostering or adopting? So I know, I know one of our families uh, currently is fostering a, Yeah. <laughs> but but I see her interact with the family, and it's like, how do we support them? Um, uh, and so you know, then you have like the Katchas who have adopted four uh, through Bethany, and they've had them since they were they were young, right? Babies or, or one or two, and and it feels like that's a little bit different than a family that's bringing a twelve year old into mm-hmm. their home. So how do we support them as a church, but then as individuals? You know, I, I think simple things, right? You know, we do, I'm sure you guys do meal trains here, right? When, when people have newborns, simple things like that, when people are bringing a new person into their family, you know, what, what's the purpose of a meal train? The purpose of a meal train isn't to bring a, bring a meal to somebody's house. It's to connect with that family. It's a check-in, right? So I, I always love the idea of just checking in with them. So if you can do that through a meal, if you can do that through a phone call, whatever that may be, just to check in because people always assume that everything's okay. People always assume that you're strong because you're a foster parent. Um, but you know, a simple phone call or you know, a stop by at somebody's house it really means a lot. Sometimes people just need somebody to talk to. That's what that's what I found. So. Right. Aware, like, a lot of times you don't find out until after the fact. Um, I don't know. 
No, no, I, I, that's a good, that's a, I, I think the best way to answer that is, you know, you have to be so sure of your foundation, right? Yeah. And where I've, where I've seen people fail is, you know, just like anything, when you're building a house, building a school, building a building, you have a, you have a faulty foundation. Everything's going to crumble and fall apart. Um, you have to be sure that you have a foundation to take this child in because there's even a little crack in that foundation, you know, things can go downhill really quickly. Uh, we did an exchange, exchange student program a couple summers ago. My kids were eight, seven, and like two, something like that, right? Um, it was a teenage girl. And that was, it, it, it was a big like cultural awakening for me because you have a teenage girl who's 15, wanting to do things that 15-year-olds do, coming from France and kind of rocking my kid's world, right? Because she comes in wearing crop tops and short shorts, and my middle daughter's like, Daddy, why can't I wear that? <laughs> I'm like, well, we, we just, we don't dress like that. That's, you know, this is, that's her choice, that's her parents' choice, blah, 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 and, you know, and she understood. And, you know, she had a big impact on us. I think we had a big impact on her, too. We took her to church every Sunday. Um, she's a believer now. I, I would say she's a little more modest than what she was at that age. And she's kind of finding her way in life. And we still stay connected to her to this day. We, the only reason we were able to do that is because we had a foundation. You know, we all have the same rules. When you enter our house, these are our rules. This is what we do as a family. This is what our schedule looks like. And, you know, I think sometimes the, I think sometimes it's easier to kind of be flexible when you bring a new member in and be like, well, I know you're used to doing this, so we're gonna let you do this. That doesn't work, right? We, you, you need to be, you need to have a strong foundation. Hopefully that answers your question, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking the same question because I'm like, okay, we, we explain to our kids that Yeah. So we act differently because our lives have been changed, not because we're trying to measure up to something. Exactly. And so I was thinking, like, okay, bringing somebody into the family, like, how do I apply that or how do I have to change it? Because we also talked about parenting as a funnel for us, for our kids. We're like, hey, if you show it to me, you can be responsible, then we'll give you more and more freedom, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, okay, you, you know, if you bring somebody in, you have to be kind of very strict initially and let them have freedom and, or do you, yeah. So it was like, how, how hard do you, you push on rules because they're not legalistic, but these are standards, you know, expectations. So, yeah, I think you just, you have to be, you know, I like to use the word agile when you're bringing, um, new members into your family, right? Especially if they're a little bit older. I think you just have to be agile in how you, in those rules, right? So, you know, same thing. My daughter is, you know, my oldest is 12. She has a cell phone. Her sister's gonna turn 11 in September. Nowhere near a cell phone. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's having those rules uh, and it just, like I said, having that foundation just, I think, allows you to have those rules. Because then, so I can say to my son, I'll be like, well, listen, do you want to have a cell phone at 11, 12? Or do you want to not have a cell phone? Here's what you need to do. Do you want to have this? Like, it's, it all comes back to having a foundation. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're figuring that out. Um, I, I'm interested in how Bethany supports, because I didn't know that you guys supported fostering or had a ministry related to fostering. How is that different than, or does it work in conjunction with like Lancaster foster care, or how does that? Uh, so we don't work in conjunction, and I use this term loosely. We're not competitors, but we're all going after the same grants, right? So, um, you know, we our our foster care, our adoption services, our safe families, our counseling services, they're they're all in house Bethany programs. So we don't really partner with any of the other local organizations. Yeah. That makes sense. So but is fostering so I know that because um, there there was a family here, the rest of their extended family is still here, but they, they live in Lancaster, so they go to another church now. But they did foster to adopt through same process so that the family is concerned about the cost of adoption is foster care through Bethany the same or how is it different it's it's a very similar process I can't speak to what their costs are uh, I think anytime you go through a organization like ours or whether it's ours or Kobe's or something similar like that there's going to be inherently slightly more costs because we have more overhead right um, but it's, yes, foster, fostering to adopt is much cheaper than, like I said, just walking in and saying, I'd like to adopt a child, if that answers that question, yeah. Do you have different guidelines or, I'm not sure if guidelines uh, is the right word, uh, in how you match prospective kids with families, families with kids, and We, we have guidelines. So when, when you come in, we have um, a statement of faith. So we, we want, first and foremost, we, we, would, we want all of our families to be believers, right? Or if you're a single person, we want you to be a believer, right? So that's, that's our base basis. Then we have, once again, we have counselors that know these families that are putting their child up for adoption. So we trust their process in matching the families up and matching the the kids with their prospective um, prospective new families. So yeah, yeah, we, we we do have we don't really have like a rubric or like a so like a personality test or anything that kind of matches anything like that. But yeah, we it's kind of organic with our counselors and our, our local workers at Bethany. Have you ever had the talk of prospective adoptive parents? Um, you know what, I think most of the people that come to us, if that's a situation, figure that out themselves, right? 
So we have we're we're pretty rigorous in our in our uh, pre-adoption pre-fostering classes. I think you just get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm not ready for this. Very minimal time since I've been here have I heard that that has been the case. Most times people are like, okay, I need to reevaluate. I'll, I'll see you later. Especially with our name, Bethany Christian Services, people are coming to us intentionally. We're not getting a bunch of people off the street who think they want to. People have really thought and prayed about this. So we're kind of fortunate in that sense that we're not having to turn a bunch of people away or telling them they're not ready for this. This is, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the type of people that we attract typically understand where they're at in the process. Yeah. Last question. Yep. Mm. You talked about mental health. Uh, do adopting kids that have trouble fitting in or thinking they fit in with other couples? Just how does that dynamic work? And I know kids are different. Yeah, you know, I, I think most of the time, some of the obstacles you have as uh, adoptee is with yourself. It's not necessarily making friends. You know what I mean? I think it's, you know, I always, and, and maybe I said this already, I my biggest struggle was obviously wasn't white enough to be with the white kids. I didn't feel black enough to be with the black kids that were at my school. So I was kind of on my own island, but that was in my own head. I had a lot of friends. You know, I was on the homecoming court. So like I, I was, I was fine. I played sports. I, I had a great childhood, but the obstacles that I battled, the challenges I battled were internally. Right. So, um, I think that, the, I don't really, you're not really an outcast if you're adopted per se. Like, I don't think you just walk in, I don't think you feel like that when you're around other kids. I think you probably feel like that just in your inner being, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, through answers too. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to ask a question about the case already. Is the goal of that to, Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's 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 about building that long-term relationship and providing that long-term stability without that child being in the foster care system, if that makes sense. So, it's um, you know, I think ideally there's absolutely a place for adoption. There's absolutely a place for foster care in this world. But I think ideally, you know, an ideal world you know, a man and a woman make a child, they raise a child together, they raise maybe multiple children together if they're lucky. Now, we're, now we know that there are people who are not always able to conceive a child, and that's great, and that's why we have, that's why we should adopt children. But, you know, this Safe Families, for, for me at least, is the ability to co-raise a child with maybe a, in most cases a single parent right and provide that stability that they just cannot provide for their kids so yes and then that, that long-term relationship where you know we have a family I know a family that's an older couple that um, 
have relationships now. They're in their 60s, 70s with adult children that they had safe families relationships with. It doesn't always go great. A lot of times it does, uh, and you have that long-term relationship, so. Absolutely. And we, we forget the impact that even chemically, you know, if Johnny's dad was an adulterer and Johnny's grandfather was an adulterer, he's more likely to have, you know, maybe extra marital affairs. And, you know, what have we seen with people who have extramarital affairs is, you know, that they end in divorce. And so he's likely to have to end in divorce and breaking that chain. And the only way to break that chain is through intentional relationships, through something like safe families, or even through just, you know, having a life group and ministering to a family that needs your help and just being intentional. And, you know, I think all people just ultimately want to be loved, right? And I think it's that simple. And I think loving people, even in their darkest times, even when they're going through a divorce, even when they're things don't seem perfect. I think that's really, you know, as Christians, what we're called to do, right? It's just love people where they're at in life. And it's easier said than done. Um, but that's all these kids need. That's all that family needs. And, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of breaking the chain of, you know, um, I'm on a school board also that serves underprivileged um, youth and every year at graduation, most of these kids are the first in their family to graduate high school, first in their family to go to college, right? And, you know, Lord willing, the first in their family to graduate from college. So uh, it's all about breaking that chain. Um, and I think to, in order to, to break the chain, you, there's this great quote, and I forget who said it, uh, you can only heal what you reveal. So you have to be aware of what you're going through and what your past hurts are. And like, you have to be willing to acknowledge that, hey, listen, I, maybe I don't come from the best family, but I want to change. That's what I love about safe families is that these people, these kids, I, these kids know that they have a need. I want that need of eating dinner with my family, with the family every night. I want the, I want the, I want to go to church every Sunday please find someone to give me that, right? And um, they understand that they're breaking that chain of you know, generations of probably hurt. So that's, that's what I love about what we do is that we're breaking the chain for a lot of families and for a lot of individuals, so. Yeah, this is that informal, you know, we'll talk about discipleship a lot in the fall here, but this is that informal aspect of discipleship that sometimes we just don't think has a big impact. Family that invited me over 
their house every Sunday for Sunday lunch. And yeah, they taught me a lot about the Christian faith, but then I got to see them in their marriage and I got to see them, uh, you know, with their kids who were older than I was. And, uh, and when Impacts and Lori and I, you know, as a young married couple, his family was inviting us into their homes. How do you do devotions with your kids? How do you, it, it was all because we were just in their home. Yeah, it's great. It's perfect. Anything else, guys? I'm glad you came. Yeah, thank you for having me. I have some. I'll leave you guys with some flyers that you can hand out. Okay. And I don't know what tchotchkes we have. Maybe hand sanitizers, something like that. So, leave you guys with some stuff. Pass out to your families, and love to come back and meet some more families that are interested. Yeah. And you're welcome to stay for your church evening if time to get to your church. Yeah, I think I have time to drive down, so I might do that, yeah. <laughs> meet, meet my totally family, understood. yeah. So we appreciate you being here, Chris. Yeah, I appreciate I it. And yeah. Devin, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for how you have adopted us into your family, uh, Lord, and how we really didn't belong, but you gave us a home and chose to love us. And Lord, uh, and that moves us to love other people. And Lord, I pray that Chris and Bethany, and uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to use their ministry uh, to impact families, Lord, to, to give people hope, uh, Lord, to see that they're loved and cared for in you, uh, and Lord, that you continue to call families to, to pour out uh, into, into children's lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that you be with us as a church, pray that you would draw more families to uh, consider adoption or fostering or just for caring for kids uh, that, that may not feel loved uh, and may not feel like they belong, but, but we know that we, uh, we belong because you've adopted us. God, you were good. Thank you for your, uh, your patience and your grace and your mercy you've given us. It's in your name. Amen. Ray, will this be posted on the church webpage or how will be? Yeah, I'm behind. I'm behind so I, I, this, this week and next week, I will get all the videos posted, and I'll, it'll be posted under Bible class. Um, it needs to be 